0: Apotheosis, Part 1. Apotheosis is a Greek word meaning to transform into a god, which is sometimes meant metaphorically and sometimes meant quite literally. Obviously, since this is the SCP universe, which is no stranger to godlike entities, the apotheosis we'll be talking about here is literal and on an unprecedented scale. In the Apotheosis canon, large portions of humanity become akin to gods, and the Foundation finds itself struggling to maintain normalcy in a drastically different world. I'll be honest and say right away that if you're looking for sparse, dark horror, you won't really find it here, and the Apotheosis canon leans far closer to X-Men comics than Lovecraft stories. If that excites you though, then you're in for a treat. Apotheosis begins with SCP-3396, which is described as a Category 4 extra-dimensional entity which exists as a gestalt of physically and metaphysically mutagenic symbiotes that currently inhabit and affect approximately 6% of the global population. That's a bit of a word salad, but basically this is the entity that is responsible for altering humanity, currently affecting 6% of the population. The central nexus of this alien entity is located around 75 kilometers southeast of Death Valley, in the Mojave Desert. Visually, it appears as a massive structure, resembling both a tree and an insect, 27 meters tall and 23 meters wide. Typically, iridescent blue-green in color, although this can vary. The entity is selectively tangible, meaning that normal physical interactions with it have proved impossible. This central nexus of the entity releases a luminous, blue-green fluid from its primary trunk and branches, which pools at its base. Exposure to the entity, or this fluid, results in dramatic changes in biological organisms, which are both unpredictable and highly variable. Organisms develop additional organs and tissues throughout their body, which are luminous and blue-green in color, and share the entity's selective intangibility. All of these new growths are internal, though they may be displayed on the body's exterior at random. Humans affected by 3396 retain their personalities, memories, and mental faculties, although it is possible that their mental faculties can be amplified by the changes. In other words, affected subjects are still themselves, just better in some way, which makes them potentially pretty dangerous. The foundation's testing starts by dropping one drop of the fluid onto the head of a bearded dragon reptile, which causes it to dramatically grow over the course of three hours. The lizard finishes growing at a total length of 25 meters and an approximate weight of 5,000 kilograms. Additionally, the specimen displayed widened limbs, a mottled and porous surface texture and a number of large dorsal vents, which continually released a mixture of spores and toxic gases. The lizard became completely docile though, not even reacting to physical examination, and skin samples yielded genetic results extremely similar to a wide variety of fungi, including a handful of deadly specimens. Next, a golden retriever was injected with a small amount of the fluid, Causing it to lose all of its fur over two hours, and develop horn-like structures across its body. Of course, the foundation proceeded to vivisect the dog, finding various new organs inside of its body. But fortunately, the vivisection failed to terminate the dog, which regenerated from all damage, and their behavior was unaltered. Time for human testing then, on a female, age 28 with some of the 3396 fluid applied to the skin of their lower arm. The subject's skin quickly absorbed all of the fluid, but there were no physical changes apparent. When asked if the subject noticed anything different, she replied that she understands firepower. An extremely large variety of rotary cannon appeared in her hands, which she proceeded to use to fire upon Foundation personnel and breach containment. On her way out, she was struck by return fire from security, causing her body to fragment, and produce violent explosions, which didn't seem to affect her whatsoever. Fragmented pieces of her body from weapon fire continued to explode and transform into different high powered weapons, and she managed to easily escape, killing 37 personnel in the process. Well, that took a turn for the worse, but the foundation is nothing if not perseverant. So they reinforced the testing chamber and brought in another D-Class, a 42-year-old male. The D-Class inhaled fumes produced by the fluid, with nothing seeming to happen over the course of three hours. Suddenly, four exact copies of the D-Class appeared in the testing chamber, and all five simultaneously stated... Only fools like you would see the blessing of magic as a curse. The five entities then joined hands, fusing together into one massive organism with ten arms, a central mass of flesh, and dozens of levitating structures resembling disembodied hands, each with an eye in the palm. A large volume of water then appeared in the testing chamber and began swirling, obscuring the entity from view. When the fluid stopped, the Entity had vanished, with its current whereabouts unknown. The Foundation has continued various tests, but since the alterations typically result in the human receiving significant destructive capabilities, the tests have resulted in numerous containment breaches. Throughout all of this, the Foundation really isn't sure what is happening with 3396 and its effect on organisms, mostly because they can't physically interact with the Entity, or the new organs inside of organisms. They have done thaumaturgic scans though, meaning magical in nature, and rather than receiving the normal readings that they would expect from such scans, they only receive back a single word. Thrive. The significance of this is unknown, and they have no means of communicating with the entity itself. As for the affected entities, All of the research members that first discovered 3396 became affected, and they all worked to completely uncover 3396 in a matter of days. They then moved on to major population centers, and it seems they worked to spread the infection. Entities not under containment have utilized their new abilities to perform a wide variety of tasks, from both violent and non-violent crime, to mass eradication of certain diseases and public welfare initiatives. Like I said, the change doesn't affect an individual's personality, so humans with superpowers will do different things with those powers. The Foundation has been hard at work trying to recontain all of these entities and maintain normalcy, but it's not going too well. Multiple groups of interest, including the GOC, the Serpent's Hand, and others have gotten a hold of various altered humans and are utilizing them for their own goals. The Foundation doesn't even have control over 3396, which is being disputed between a number of groups of interest. So far, only 6% of the population is affected, and the Foundation believes that they can still recontain things, but if that number hits 15%, They will initiate Contingency Alabaster to change their Prime Directive and ensure the safety of what humanity remains. That brings us to the next section, a tale titled The Shape of a Gun, which starts right after the female D-Class had broken containment using numerous advanced weaponry. The D-Class's real name is Monica Pinkston, and the tale opens with her looking down over the wreckage of the Foundation site. ...hefting a 150 pound rotary fire grenade cannon over her shoulder. She sees fire and smoke in the ruins, alarms blaring in the distance... ...and she knows that she could continue raining down ordnance onto it until it was nothing but ash... ...taking vengeance on everyone inside. But only a small part of her wanted to do so. She lets go of her cannon, which instead of falling to the ground, it disappears entirely and she turns and walks away. Half an hour later, she wishes that she had stolen a Foundation car or helicopter first, and she sits down on a rock to stop. She has no survival skills, no equipment, no food, no transportation, and no idea where she was. She also is not alone, though, as something is inside of her, the influence of SCP-3396, and she can feel it. One hour prior, she had been a D class numbered 77777, which had made her somewhat noteworthy in the D class community she was a part of. They had named her Lucky Sevens, and despite Monica's natural inclination throughout life to stay out of the spotlight and avoid standing out, other D class gravitated towards her due to her number. Monica knew that she was just a normal girl from a bad neighborhood with a long list of petty crimes due to her daddy issues, mommy issues, money issues, anger issues, and plenty more. She was just another stupid, regrettable sob story among millions, but because of her D-class number, the other D-class thought she was special. They believed you could talk to her and she'd give good advice. She was a quick study and knew how to survive. She had made it through test after test without dying, and she could show you how, just because she was lucky sevens. She didn't bother trying to refute anything, and just did her best, until she was selected for the 3396 test, and everything changed. Over the course of a few seconds, her body and mind collapsed, and she was no longer herself, instead becoming a cup of her own soul, being drunk by something very thirsty, before being pissed back out. She wasn't explicitly told by any entity that she had gained incredible power and could use it to escape, but she felt things without words, like smoke and iron filings in her blood. Whatever had been responsible for this had taken something from her, and she wasn't sure what, but had left behind an entire arsenal of weaponry. It had taken all of her frustration and hatred and misery and doubt and determination and smelted it into a shape that represented what she was to the world, the shape of a gun. She had access to millions of weapons now, from pistols to cruise missiles to things that haven't even been imagined yet. She describes the feeling of being shot as a hammer driving down on the blasting cap of her soul, her body becoming a divine bomb. She didn't really understand any of this, she had just acted, alone because she had become too dangerous to be near. She stops to pull a smuggled cigarette out of her uniform, instinctively manifesting a blowtorch to light it. As she sits there smoking, a vehicle in the distance draws closer, and she prepares herself for another explosive confrontation. She didn't think they could kill her, but even if they could, it didn't matter to her. A black dune buggy comes into view, with only one occupant, a tall, tan, military man in black body armor. She decides not to shoot first, and he steps out with his hands up, telling her that he just wants to talk. Monica manifests an enormous laser weapon larger than her own body, aiming it directly at him. She says that she wants to vaporize him with this laser, but she'll let him go first. He says that he's not here to try and bring her back, and understands why she'd want to kill him, but he asks her if she believes in second chances. She swears at him, but he continues, saying that he's read her file and thinks that she does believe in second chances. Monica steps forward, placing the aperture of the laser inches from the man's forehead, but he still continues. He says that he's only alive right now because he's got the sense to stay on the winning side. The Foundation is losing at this point, due to the rapid spread of these altered humans. And he offers his assistance to Monica because he has a vehicle, money, contacts, and information. Fast forward quite a ways, and Monica is now known as the Queen of Spades and the Baroness of Old Vegas. And life has changed. She's currently battling an anomalous humanoid surrounded by floating blobs of black plasma that dissolve anything they touch. It seems that this particular individual has attacked Old Vegas numerous times, and despite Monica's best efforts, she has yet to kill him. She utilizes artillery bombardments and dozens of high explosive missiles, but even if a projectile gets close to hitting the man, he protects himself with his black sludge. She's talking through an earpiece to the former Foundation agent, Jake, and they mention another anomalous humanoid named Dozer, who apparently has the ability to move Earth. Monica desperately wants to stop this man once and for all, as he's been the cause of multiple evacuated districts and plenty of scared families residing in Old Vegas. She decides to bring out her biggest weapon, nicknamed the Showstopper. A colossal tower of churning metal appears in the sky above the man, blocking out the sun and outputting tremendous amounts of heat. The bottom end of this device glows and drips molten metal, and Monica activates it, letting out a deafening hum across the city. A massive column of light descends from the device straight down into the earth, vaporizing everything in its path and letting out a heat wave that sears Monica's flesh to her delight. After it finishes, the light and the device disappear, leaving nothing but a smoking, molten shaft in the ground where the man had been, before Monica passes out. She slowly wakes up sometime later, her body feeling like it had been punched by a giant fist, and Jake is waiting next to her. Monica asks what happened, and Jake says that she pulled the showstopper on Void Boy, but he's not sure if he managed to teleport away before getting hit. The man named Dozer is mad at her, though, for melting through a buried sewer main, but she's not bothered. As she continues to wake up, she notices that she's in a private room in a treatment center, where there's electricity for the medical equipment and actual doctors that Monica had managed to hire despite the danger of working here. She says to Jake that it's really strange that a year ago, Jake was a site security captain for the SCP Foundation, and she was one of his prisoners. And now, she's some sort of wizard mutant, the mayor of Las Vegas, and he runs around keeping her alive while they fight supervillains. Jake replies that she fights the supervillains while he stays very far away and gives occasional advice. He had been talking with another former Foundation personnel, but the guy didn't have any new info that they didn't already have. And when Jake offered him a place here in Old Vegas, he said that he'd rather take his chances in the desert. It seems that some people don't want to live in a ruined city populated mostly by mutants and mutant sympathizers. As they head off to get food, it's clear that Jake is silently in love with Monica, and she is now happy to be alive. Monica hadn't exactly chosen to be the mayor of Old Vegas and its community, as it isn't in her personality, but instead it was foisted upon her due to her power and her willingness to protect her fellow mutants. She doesn't relish in the authority though, and takes her meals in the cafeteria with everyone else, trying to sit with different people every time. There are various groups and cliques inside of the community, as is human nature with mutants and non-mutants tending to stay separate. As Monica heads into the cafeteria, she spots the burly, bearded construction worker named Dozer, who's capable of moving Earth, and who runs the maintenance squadron of Old Vegas. She also sees the Spookies, a group of mutants with abilities that allow them to be supernaturally quick or stealthy, who work as Monica's spies and scouts. One fades in and out of sight as she hasn't learned to control her invisibility yet. Another keeps himself wreathed in dense shadows to cope with his social anxiety. And a third has a great number of eyes across her face, which allow her to see through walls for miles. She then looks at the fighters, the most destructive mutants in the community aside from Monica herself, who tended to strike a little bit of fear in the rest of the community. One of them ogre is over nine feet tall with red skin and large tusks, but is surprisingly kind-hearted despite his appearance. Another is completely covered in highly poisonous thorns, and is capable of regenerating from being blown to pieces, but she keeps herself wrapped in protective pads to prevent accidentally poisoning anyone. A third individual has control over electricity, and is currently making silverware dance in the air with electromagnetism to the amusement of the others. He had once supplied power to the entire district when a generator bank had gone down. It's clear that, despite the fearsome appearances and capabilities of the anomalous humans here, they are all good people at heart. Finally, Monica spots Norman in the corner a loner with a rather striking appearance even by mutant standards. Norman is the other D-class mentioned in the 3396 file, and appears as a disgusting amalgamation of flesh and exposed organs levitating in the air, surrounded by dozens of floating disembodied hands with eyes in the palms. Parts of him continually warp in and out of visible space, and multiple copies of himself as he had looked before the mutations occasionally appear near him before disappearing. Just looking at Norman for too long tended to give people headaches, and he is avoided by practically everyone except for Monica, who eats with him whenever he makes a rare appearance in the cafeteria. She's not really sure where he goes when he's not in the cafeteria, and she remembers him from her time at the Foundation as a quiet, contemplative person. As she approaches Norman, some of the floating hands turn to face her, and they disappear before she walks through them to sit down. She asks Norman how he's doing, and he responds by speaking with numerous voices at the same time, as well as directly injecting images or sensations into someone's mind, if words aren't enough. Monica describes it as a profoundly surreal and sometimes upsetting experience, but she had gotten used to it. Norman says that he's alright, as the wind is rich and full of secrets today, and he had seen Monica fight the void-thrower. Monica says that she's not sure if he'll come back this time, because she went the extra mile. But Norman replies that she didn't kill him, because he had tried to hold the void-thrower in place using his powers, but he escaped. Monica is rather surprised, not by the fact that he escaped, but by Norman actually helping out. She asks him if he knows anything about this individual, like where he came from or why he keeps trying to murder everyone here. But Norman says that the Void Thrower has a strange mind with few cohesive thoughts. The only thing he can find in his mind is thoughts of murder and destruction, and Norman isn't sure if he's alone within himself. Asked to clarify, Norman says that he believes that the Void Thrower's mutation opened up some kind of gate and something came through. Something mean. He'd have to dig deeper to find out, and that would probably be bad for his health. Monica asks if he can be killed, and Norman thinks that he could be, but you'd need something to mess with the space around him and prevent him from teleporting away. Norman can do that, but not to the degree necessary, as he would need help from someone else that can do the same, And unfortunately, he doesn't know of anyone that can do the same thing as him. Monica says that the more she hangs out with Norman, the more she likes him, because he's a nice guy. She hears the sound of laughter accompanied by images of sunshine and colorful flowers in her head, and Norman says that he's an ugly bastard, but he likes to think that he makes up for it with his glowing and handsome personality. Monica realizes at this point and states aloud that Norman can simply read through her mind at will. Norman says that it's not something he does on purpose, comparing it to walking through a museum and being told that if you think about looking at the paintings, you'll be punished. Monica replies that it's still creepy, leading her to receive images of rain clouds in her head and the sound of distant crying, with Norman apologizing and saying that he can't help what he is, but assures her that her secrets are safe with him. He says that he was given great gifts, and he would never go back to what he was before, but sometimes he thinks he would give almost anything to. Monica understands what he means, and tells him that he should come around more often, as they've all changed in some way and can empathize with him at least a little. He doesn't have to be alone, as there's a family here if he gives them a chance. The rain clouds part in her head, And Norman says that that makes him feel better, and he's glad that she, of all people, was given the abilities that she has. Norman suddenly freezes, and before Monica can ask what's wrong, images of terror, agony, and chaos crash through her head, and Norman's voice explodes through the minds of everyone in the building simultaneously. He announces that hundreds of soldiers are currently entering Old Vegas armed with guns, armor, and war machines. Like I said before, the SCP Foundation is nothing if not perseverant. Norman says that the commander intends to capture the citizens of Old Vegas and kill all who resist. Norman tells Monica that he'll provide a telepathic communications network for the defenders of Old Vegas, as well as revealing the mind of the enemy. But first, he will banish their helicopters from his sky, and tells the Queen of Old Vegas to be strong and lead them to victory. Monica leaps up and commands all the fighters to their battle stations, ordering team captains to use Norman's telepathic network to coordinate. The maintenance squadron is told to break up the road in front of the Foundation's army to stop their tanks, and the Spookies are ordered to spy on the army and provide status reports every ten minutes. She says that it's time to show these Nazis why you can't mess with old Vegas, and the community roars loud enough to rattle the concrete, ...and quake the hearts of the Foundation. Shortly after, Monica stands on the street in front of a thick line of her artillery cannons pointed at the Foundation's small army. The Foundation outnumbered the defenders of Old Vegas three to one, but they didn't exactly have superpowers. The commander steps forward and says that it's with a heavy heart that they come here today... ...but they cannot allow the inhuman infestation to continue to spread. For the benefit of all humanity, they ask that all mutants here lay down their arms and surrender to be contained, for the safety of the world. Monica stares him down, her people behind her, as Dozer cracks his huge fist together and the maintenance squadron shouts in defiance. Ogre roars and smashes his enormous steel club in the ground, the rest of the fighters crying out with him. Norman hovers above all of them, gazing downward with hundreds of eyes, providing the queen with the commander's innermost plans, and allowing the defenders to think with one mind. Just behind Monica is Jake, pointing his assault rifle directly at the commander's head. Monica cries out as Norman transmits her words directly into the minds of the Foundation's soldiers, telling them that they will never submit to their tyranny, as they are still people, and they will die for the right to remain free. She welcomes their hate and conquest, because they are the free state of Vegas, and they will not be moved. The free people of the community thunder out their pride, their yearning to live, their right to thrive, and Monica lets herself be wielded by the hearts of her people, forging her soul into a shape that would defend their homes and lives. The shape of a gun. We won't see the conclusion to this battle, But this isn't the end of Monica's story, or that of Apotheosis. From the Foundation's perspective, they have a real problem in their hands. A total shift in the status quo of the world, where they have lost the power to contain things. While it's all well and good that some nice superhumans are running around just trying to make their own communities, this infection is spreading, and there is something mysterious behind all of it. There's still plenty of story left to go though, and things are going to get even more interesting from here, so stay tuned.